let's pray as we look at God's word together. Thank you, Father, that you choose to speak to us. Thank you that we can know you through your scriptures. And we pray that as we look at this now, we'll know you better. We ask that you'll help us to think about how we relate to you and how we relate to those around us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We at SALT work our way through books of the Bible. That's the typical thing that we do. So last week we were looking at chapter 12. Uh, Next week we'll look at the second half of chapter 13. And one of the good things about looking at the Bible that way is you see things in their context. And seeing things in their context is actually pretty helpful to understand the meaning of things. You know, it's very easy, isn't it, to pluck a quote and take it out of context and make it say whatever you want it to say. And in this day of uh, this day and age of Twitter, people do that sort of thing uh, most regularly. What we're going to be seeing, I think, is that Jesus, in looking at the parables uh, in chapter 13, we're going to see that Jesus is teaching some very fundamental things about what life is like in relationship with God. But I want to put it into its context for you, first of all. Uh, At the end of chapter 12, we were looking at last week, remember there was a bit of a discussion about who Jesus' mother and brother and sisters were. Uh, We'll come back to that. But when you get to the end of the section on the parable, so it's at the end of chapter 13, there's a similar discussion. Uh, I'll read it to you, and what we see is a bracketing of questions about who Jesus is and who's part of his family. Uh, So look at the end. Um, If you've got a Bible there, you might like to turn to Matthew 13. I'll I'll read it for you from verse uh, 53. When Jesus had finished these parables, he moved on from there. Coming to his hometown, he began teaching the people in their synagogue and they were amazed. Where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers, they asked. Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's name Mary? And aren't his brothers, James, Joseph, Simon and Judas, aren't all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all these things? And they took offence at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honour except in his own town and in his own home. And he didn't do many miracles there because of their lack of faith. A big question for these people is, who is this man? Who is Jesus? We feel we know him. We've seen his mum, we've seen his brothers, we've seen his sisters. Who do you understand Jesus to be? If you're looking at Matthew's gospel for the first time, can I suggest that's probably the most important question that you can ask. Who is this man? Come back to the other passage at the end of last week and we read this. Chapter 12, verse 46, while Jesus was still talking to the crowd, his mother and brothers stood outside waiting to speak to him. Someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside waiting to speak to you. He replied to them, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. So here's a question, friends. Who is Jesus? And the second question, who is his family? And what we see at the end of this last chapter that we've looked at 
is it's not flesh and blood ties that connect you to Jesus. It's not having the same parents. It's not being born into the right family tree. And as we've looked at the interaction that Jesus has had with people, it's not anything that we do. It's actually being in a relationship with Jesus that matters. Now, Jesus is going to talk um, right through chapter 13 in what are called parables. And I want to just pause for a minute to think with you about what a parable is and how it works. I can still remember being taught in Sunday school, primary school, a couple of years ago, uh, what a parable was. And you might have heard the same description. It's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Any of you heard that? Um, Yeah, there's a few hands going up. Well done for attending scripture. Uh, It's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And that's not too bad as an explanation. It's certainly an earthly story. It's an agricultural story. We'll see some different types of stories in what follows. And we can relate to it, can't we? Um, I've taken some seed, uh, lawn seed, and I've tried to grow lawn on my nature strip. I've tossed it out. Some's gone onto the road and onto the path. It hasn't grown. I've tossed some onto the hard soil after seven years of drought in Canberra, and it's been washed away by the next... Well, hang on, we didn't get rain. must have been the dog that washed it away. Um, I can tell you that it's very difficult to sow seed and get plants that you want because the weeds come up and yeah, we know this sort of stuff. We know what it is to have a nice lawn. You just go to the local bolo and you see it. Why is Jesus telling these sorts of stories? Is it because they're simple people and you need a simple explanation? Is this that people like pictures and stories and so it's an object lesson and it's more likely to get inside your psyche Is it so that Jesus speaks this way so that people will understand what he's saying and respond? Well, that's what I thought. And I thought that because I hadn't actually read what it said. Have a look with me at what it says. It's quite striking. Jesus says in verse 13 that this is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears. They have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. See, Jesus isn't saying, I speak in parables so that everyone will get it and they'll all come to me and accept it. Jesus is actually saying, I speak in parables because people's hearts are hard. They've got calloused hearts. They see, but they don't see what they're seeing. They hear, but they're not really listening. See, Jesus is speaking in parables so as to divide his audience. We know that because... He goes on to say that he will speak to his followers in plain speak. And we get an example of that in what we see with the explanation after this quote about what parables are. You see, this parable, 
It's described, I think, in Mark's Gospel as the parable you need to understand in order to understand parables. Jesus is actually speaking to them in a way that will describe the way they respond to him and the way we respond to him as well. So have a look at it with me. This is a a simple story about how we listen, how we listen to Jesus. Uh, You see it there with the first of these pictures uh, in the first part of the chapter. uh, He told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. And as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Later, he gives an explanation and says this, Listen to what the parable of the sower means. Verse 19, When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown on the path. As we read this, we're going to see four different responses to Jesus. And you'll see these responses in the people that he's met over the last few chapters. But we also see these responses in people that we meet As people hear about Jesus, they respond in a variety of ways. Some, because they have no understanding, immediately dismiss it. No real connection, not taking it on board. It's just not that relevant. It's not that interesting. It doesn't matter that much. I mean, why would I bother thinking about Jesus? 2,000 years ago, who can tell anybody what happened? I mean, it's ancient history, isn't it? Why are you saying that things about a man who lived in Israel, who wandered around the Sea of Galilee, who told stories about agriculture, would have any significance for us today? Perhaps it's like Richard Dawkins, the atheist, wrote, that it's, it's just like Santa Claus and the Easter Bunny. I mean, why would we be interested in Jesus? And that's many people's response. There's another response. He talks about another soil. Then in verse 4, as he was scattering the seed, uh, some fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Again, Jesus gives the explanation Very helpful when he tells us what things mean. Uh, Down in chapter uh, 13, verse 20, the seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. And when trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. We know this kind of response, don't we? There there are some who... uh, are immediately enticed by the message of Jesus. They're captivated by it. It's offering help. It's offering hope. Uh, It's a message of life. People want what Jesus is offering until, of course, it interferes with other things, until we're distracted, until it becomes problematic, until I have to explain that I've become a Christian to my family or until I have to fess up at work or or until people make it difficult for me for being a Christian. 
And the sad reality is that that happens. I remember years ago, I'm old enough to have uh, witnessed Billy Graham in person. Uh, but after the Billy Graham crusade was here in Australia in the 1970s, there was some data that was published uh, about the responses by people, people who heard the message and they went up the front uh, to respond to that message. They've done some longitudinal follow-up studies. How many people, after a period of time, I'm not sure what the period was, whether it was a couple of years, five years, 10 years, 15, 20 years, I'm not sure. But the Billy Graham organisation said that in their follow-up studies, 3% of those who had gone down the front and made a commitment were still following the Lord Jesus. See, it's easy to get caught up in something, but when the acid test gets applied, fall by the wayside. Well, there's two more soils. The next one, I think, is the Aussie soil, to be true. Uh, I've no idea where it is in the first bit, so I'll, I'll have to look more closely. Gee, I need to bring my glasses when I do this. Verse 7, thank you, Nathan. That's, we could tag team preaching. I could say, where is that passage? And Nathan could say, it's verse 7. Another seed, other seed, fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Well, that was all it was. Okay, so the explanation's longer, uh, and we find that down in verse 22. Is that right, Nathan? Good. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. I think we need to look closely at this picture because we see it so often and Jesus warns about it. Um, notice the things that are problematic. The worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth. That's hard, isn't it? Because do you know where we live? In this life. That's where we live. This is day-to-day. -day. This is normal. This is what everybody experiences. We all have worries. We've got mortgages to pay. We've got insurance to sort out. We've got children to care for. We've got aged parents. We've got cars that need to be um, filled up with this expensive stuff. I think they call it petrol. Or diesel, in my case. Yes, I'll keep reminding myself. There's, there's all kinds of things that we need to do. There's all kinds of responsibilities that we have. And we get told that this is your life. I mean, that's all that the media, that's all that our community is going to say matters. To be fit and healthy in this life, to be largely successful in this life, to have good sex and relationships in this life, to go and see the world in this life. The life that matters is the life that you live here and now. And Jesus says it's a threat to following Jesus because it pushes down the list of priorities, the kingdom of God. And the deceitfulness of wealth, well... We see that again and again and again. The rich man who comes to Jesus, 
says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And, and uh, Jesus says, you know the commandments. He says, I've kept all of them. Jesus says, okay, well, one thing, go and take your possessions, sell them and give the money to the poor. And he went away sad because he was very wealthy. Jesus said it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. The disciples say, who then can be saved? And fortunately, Jesus makes it very clear that with man it's impossible, but with God all things are possible. In Luke chapter 12, he tells a story, uh, a poignant story about the deceitfulness of wealth. There's a guy who produces, uh, he's a landowner and he's got all kinds of fields full of crops and he produces so much that he ends up getting the architects in to build more storage so that he can hang on to everything that he's got. And in the story, he sits back and he puts his feet up and he's got his drink and he's watching the sunset and says, let me just eat and drink and enjoy for I have many years. And God says to him, you fool. You fool. Tonight your life will be over and who will get what you've stored up for yourself? See, we live in a fool's paradise if we think this life is all there is. If we think that having possessions and accumulation and protecting them and getting more is what life's all about. You can't take it with you. It doesn't help you when it comes to the, the things that really matter in life. I remember sadly on holidays one time, staying in a granny flat of a guy that we didn't know. He just Airbnb type thing. He rented it out. And I was chatting to him and he'd retired early at the age of 58 because he wanted to try and have connection with his children and grandchildren. Problem was, he'd thrown absolutely everything into his work, so much so that his children didn't want to relate to him. You see, there's a lot that money can buy, no doubt about it, but it can't buy relationships. It can't buy love. It can't buy you the kingdom of heaven. But it can sure as hell distract you from it. I think it's the Australian problem. Or oh, they're all problems, aren't they? But we're wealthy. And it's so tempted to put our trust in our wealth. There's one more soil. And this is the one we need to look at very closely. Jesus says in his parable, another so still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty or thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. Well, this is the seed that lands on the soil and produces what it's intended to produce. Uh, the explanation that Jesus says in verse 23, but the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. 
This is the one who produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. Um, what do we make of those numbers? Well, the best explanation that I've heard is that when you plant a seed, it, it will produce something that should theoretically produce 160 or 30 seeds to be planted again. That's just the way planting works, um, except with pineapples. You chop the top off and you stick them in the ground again. But he's not talking about pineapples. Um, you don't cast pineapples. I don't know why I thought of that. <laughs> See, here is the seed doing what it's supposed to do in the soil. And Jesus describes it as understanding. And I take it originally it's understanding who he is. And for us, understanding what he says, what it's about, why it matters, how great it is, and putting that into practice, living that out, responding to Jesus. And that's what we pray will happen when the seed gets sowed. So friends, there's a number of responses to Jesus. And I think this is sobering for us at one level because we need to realise that this is Jesus saying not everybody is going to be there on the last day. Not everybody is going to produce a good crop. Not everyone will be right with Jesus for all eternity. Some will start well, but they won't finish. Some will get distracted. Some will get yanked away. Some they'll never take it seriously enough to even engage with it. Has that been your experience in talking to people? It has mine. But I don't think that's how we should apply it. I don't think we should be saying... What kind of soil should we sow in? I don't think we should be anticipating that this person will be more responsive than that person. I wonder how many of us would have been given up on by those around us if they'd had to anticipate which soil we were. Jesus is saying there are a number of ways to respond to him but only one right way. And there's a sting in this tale because as he speaks to people, people in that very moment are determining which soil they're in. Jesus speaking to a crowd, there'll be some who just walk away. What did you do today, dear? Oh, I was hanging down near the lake. There was this random bloke talking about stuff, didn't really get what he was saying. Some people were right into it. There was a bunch of people that, you know, those religious types, socks and sandals. I'm not really into that. There might be other people who hang around with Jesus for a time. But then the pressure gets on. Because hanging with Jesus 
sometimes seemed good and sometimes seemed dangerous. Even the Apostle Peter denied that he knew Jesus three times. And there'll be some who start well, but they're more focused on what life offers here and now than what life might have in store for eternity. And they need perspective. They need to rethink that. Friends, as we listen to this, we are one of these soils. It's, uh, it's just the reality. Every single one of us are in this story. Where are you? Where will you be tomorrow? You see, in this account that we read in Matthew 13, Jesus is warning about the problem of seeing but not seeing and hearing but not really hearing because our hearts are calloused. It's a great picture there, isn't it? Verse 15, for this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears and they have closed their eyes. Have you had your heart tested recently? It's a good thing to do because when the plaque and the cholesterol and other things harden up the blood vessels, there is a great risk to life. If you can't get the heart doing what it needs to do, if the blood won't pump in and pump out, then you are at risk of your life. But there's something worse, and that is the spiritual heart growing calloused, hard, standing against the message of Jesus. You won't see it happening like that, but you can practice growing hard. And that is a great danger. More than a heart attack awaits. Jesus is saying these things to his disciples to encourage them to persevere and warning of the responses that there will be. What does it say to us about sowing? Well, I think at the bare minimum, it says we need to recognise that there'll be a variety of responses and to trust God with that. But to urge people of the importance of not hardening their heart to God. Next week, we're going to continue looking at chapter 13 and we'll see a number of other parables, perspectives on the kingdom of God. And as we do that, I hope that God will work within us to reprioritise the kingdom, just to remind us of how fundamental and central it really is because it's his kingdom and we were made for it. How about we pray?